Well, today's uh, sermon is on Acts chapter 2. We're looking at the very end of Acts chapter 2, so uh, verses 42 through to 47. We're picking up where we left off last week, really. And uh, we are uh, looking, it's it's found on page 1097 in the Church Bible. So Acts chapter 2, 42 through to uh, 47, the end of the chapter, 1097. Let me read that for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for uh, this vision of church. Help us this morning to be more devoted to you, uh, to one another. And we pray uh, that you would add to our numbers. So, Lord, help us to see the Lord Jesus more clearly this morning and to love him more dearly. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, you can follow along a sort of sermon outline on the inside of your yellow service sheets and feel free to write notes on those and take them away with you. But our question this morning really is, what should church be? What should church be? What are we doing here on a Sunday morning? What's the point? And and maybe you've never set foot in a church before or you've been a long time away and this morning's your first time back and you're thinking, what does church actually have to offer me? What is church for? One of the strange things about being a pastor of a church is that folk will often let you know their opinion or experience of church, even if you've never met them before. Um, They often have very strong opinions about what church should be, and they'll share them with you very freely. So someone I met recently at a barbecue was telling me about their church, and they said, my church just doesn't do it properly. I said, well, why is that? And they're like, well, my old church used to have food before and after every service, and that, that was church. Or maybe I remember once reading a a book about church planting, how to start new churches. And the author had an entire page, if not more, rant about biscuits. He said, Biscuits were not good enough for church. You need nice pastries and giant cookies on a Sunday morning. Now, it's no doubt a lovely church to go to and really nice vibes. But is cookies and pastries essential for church? And the way that he was talking about it in the book, it almost sounded like it was. So what should church be? Well, we see some answers to this by looking to what the early church was, the first church. And today's passage is really the earliest church. We're picking back uh, up in the book of Acts, 
And after Peter's first sermon at Pentecost, we saw there was a response that people made to the preached word, didn't we? Verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's the early church in Jerusalem. A church uh, in the New Testament, the word just means a gathering. This is the early gathering. So let's look at what this church, uh, what it meant for this church to start out. What characteristics defined this early church and these early gathering of believers? I think the key word for us, can you spot it in verse 42, is devoted. Devoted. They devoted themselves. It means steadfastly continuing, doesn't it? Uh, we could summarize it, what, what they were devoted to. We could summarize it as this church that started out is devoted to God. To God. So uh, look with the detail with me. First, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. It's a first like hallmark of a spirit-filled church. And they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. And that should be the same for us today, shouldn't it? We need to be a church that doesn't depart from the teaching of the apostles. So we would say that we are a Bible-teaching church. Hopefully you've picked up on that already this morning. Uh, but we want to be more than just a Bible-teaching church. Every single person here, we want to be a Bible-devoted church. A church devoted to the apostles' teaching. And this will happen uh, individually. So being devoted to the word will mean uh, not only hearing faithful sermons on a, on a Sunday morning, but uh, maybe having a regular diet of the Bible too. So maybe we read our Bible daily. We follow along with some Bible notes to, to help explain it to us. And uh, we get devoted to the word. It'll take some discipline, but that comes with the devotion. But more than this, because uh, some of us here may well be very good at reading our Bibles every single day, very good at coming to church and hearing faithful sermons preached. But the problem lies in the actual doing of what the Bible says. We need, actually, as devoted believers, to be devoted not just to the reading of the word, but to the doing of it too. And so we need to be praying for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our inner devotion to God that we follow what the apostles' teaching says. Next, you can see that they were devoted to fellowship. We'll cover that, though, later in one of our bigger points. And so we skip over to the breaking of bread. I'm calling this, though, being devoted to remembering Jesus' death. Breaking bread was often just used as shorthand for having food together. And so you can see why uh, people think that that having food together would be very important for church to do. But here I think there's a slightly different meaning, because Luke, the doctor who wrote the book of Acts, records that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. The definite article here, I think, means that he's talking about the Lord's Supper. So uh, if you can recall Luke chapter 22, verse 19, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread... And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
It was a physical sign of grace that was set apart by Jesus for his followers to do in order that their faith in him would be strengthened. So later in our service today, when we take the Lord's Supper, breaking the bread, we're to remember that we're partakers in Jesus' body. And when we drink, we remember that his blood was shed for our sins, that we should be forgiven. It's a hallmark of the early church, that we carry on to this day. They were devoted to God in those ways, but also devoted in prayer, or more specifically, the prayers. It could have been that the early church here was still keeping to a sort of regular pattern of prayers that was uh, common in, in Jewish life. So, you know, daily, weekly, seasonal prayers. And there were prayers um, that, that they would have said, specific ones written out. But for us, as spirit-filled believers today, we need to be devoted in prayer too. Um, in summer fellowship this week, we were looking at the whole book of Philippians. And in Philippians 4.6, Paul instructs uh, the church to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The Holy Spirit living in God's people means they are devoted in prayer. Prayer is that simplest form of communication with God. Imagine for a second you're in a long-distance relationship. Maybe you are today. Um, But imagine that you never reply to their messages. You never check in and let them know how your day is going. You don't pick up when they ring you on FaceTime. You don't set aside daily time to actually work on the long-distance relationship. How would you say you're doing in a scale of being devoted to that person? It'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? But if you let them know what is on your mind, your heart, you check in, you spend deliberate time communicating, then it would be far more clear that you are actually living a devoted life to that person. It's sort of, in a a small way, like our relationship with God. He works in Christ's church by his spirit through our prayers. And so ignoring our prayer life would be uh, a sort of completely incompatible with living a devoted life to God. It'd be sort of like ignoring your wife's text when she's away for work, ignoring your parents' FaceTime's call. It, It wouldn't work. They were devoted to God in prayer with a regular pattern. Let's be devoted in prayer. And then another way that they were devoted to God is verse 47 says they were praising God. We do this when we meet together on a Sunday morning. We sing together. We sing praises to God. But praise is also more than singing as well. Uh, We uh, say praises to God too. So think about it. If I were to encourage Christian for this morning of what a good job he's done leading, I could sing his praises to him. Um, But it might be a little bit much, so I might just say them. So think about all the ways that you can praise God this morning in your devotion to him. They're the same reasons that we have this morning for, well, the early Christians praising him. For his wonderful works in creating and sustaining the whole entire world. For his rescue of a sinful, undeserving people. Redemption and the forgiveness of sins. 
all of our wrongdoing dealt with on the cross of Christ. The new life given through his spirit that we might have faith in him. And one day Jesus will come again. He'll right every wrong, undo every pain, and peace and justice will pour forth. We have those exact same reasons to praise our God as these early Christians did. So apply this to ourselves today. A friend of mine uh, sometimes says that a church should be able to uh, look up, look in, and look out. We'll take that as a bit of application for out today. So look up, a slightly imperfect way of saying we need to be deliberate about our devotion to God. We need to grow in our love for him. So are we doing the basics? Getting into the word and the apostles' teaching. What are we learning about God? What is he teaching us today? Are we praying? Are we praising in a a daily, regular, deliberate, devoted way? Maybe you're not sure where to start with prayer and praise. Let me encourage you to listen back to Marx's sermon from a few weeks ago where he was talking about benedictions, prayers of blessings in the New Testament. A great example of how we can take biblical concepts, apply them to our life, and they can transform our prayer life. So why not start praying those blessings one a day for your family, your church, for one another? The spirit-filled church starts out and is devoted to God. Let's look, though, um, and see how the spirit-filled church stands out and is devoted to one another. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Verse 42 says, and to the fellowship. It's a word that expresses there was a common life, a community that was found in the church. Fellowship is more than just what we can get from church, but it's what we give and get from one another. So how does fellowship mean that we stand out? Being a Christian uh, does mean being devoted to one another. And it looks like, well, it looks like fellowship and generosity. Not just what can I get, but what can I give? What can I give? Now, uh, an example of this might be uh, in 21st century London, we aren't exactly blessed with space, are we? But being devoted to one another and uh, generous in fellowship might look like we invite people round, and we admit we, we don't have a lot of space or a lot of time, but we make it a goal, invite some folk over from church into our lives and share with them, purely for the sake of being generous and increasing in fellowship. This would likely make us stand out among our neighbors, among our colleagues, and, but also the depth of relationship that it forms within a church family helps us to stand out because, well, in a lonely London landscape, everyone can keep themselves to themselves. Uh, Their friends can often be people at the exact same age and stage as themselves. And so today we have a church community that spans age, race, class, education, qualification, And that should stand out, our fellowship and commitments to 
one another. So let's stand out in our devotion to one another across whatever borders we might see within church, uh, that actually we are fellowshipping with one another. So fellowship was expressed in deep commitment to the meet and uh, deep commitment to one another, but also a deep commitment to the meeting of needs. So look at verses 44 and 45. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. The early church was radically generous in their commitment and fellowship with one another. Now, we read that today with sort of 21st century eyes, and immediately the question comes up, like, was the early church some sort of communist utopia? Um, Do we need to go back to it today? Should I sell my house? Should I sell my things? Uh, Should we get everything we own, pull it together, and everyone can just sort of take what they need? Well, lots of people do actually suggest this, and they read sort of political ideologies onto Jesus and the early church in, in quite radical ways. But I don't think it quite means this for a couple of reasons. Verse 46 says, for example, that they broke bread in their homes. So they still clearly had homes. They maybe didn't actually sell those off and sell their houses. When we get to chapter 5, we see uh, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira Uh, It wasn't greed or the loving of their material possessions, but their sin was deceit. So it wasn't that they retained some of the uh, money from the sale of their possessions. It was that they pretended that they'd given all of the money from the sale of their possessions, whilst they were still secretly holding some back. The money was at your disposal, says Peter to them in chapter 5, verse 4. So becoming a Christian uh, doesn't mean that you uh, are renouncing every single thing that you possibly own and you pull it into one community, one community and you, you give all of your money to church. It, it doesn't mean that everyone takes a wage from some sort of middle pot if you're a Christian. The selling and sharing of goods, though, was, in the Christian community, voluntary and generous, and in particular, to those in need. And the church stood out because of that commitment to one another. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was a deep biblical attitude here. And it's in the Old Testament as well, an attitude of care for uh, the poor. The Israelites were to give to the Levite, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. It's commanded in, in Deuteronomy 26. And this should challenge us in a few ways, shouldn't it? Because, for one thing, it can be very difficult to, uh, in 21st century Britain, 21st century London, to admit that we're needy and that we need one another. And, in fact, need material help. That's a very difficult thing to do. But as any had need, the church was stepping up. So we need to maybe admit that we need one another. But here... Believers view one another as their own responsibility. So they weren't coming to church simply as consumers, to keep their time, their money, and their possession to themselves. 
But the vision here is one of a devoted church, so devoted to one another uh, that they would give radically, generously to one another. Not thinking that what is theirs is theirs to keep, but having that biblical attitude of this really belongs to God. How can I bless somebody with it? And that made them stand out. And it will make us stand out. So uh, early church-wise, there was a, uh, an old um, f- philosopher historian, Lucian of Somersata, who wrote just after 100 years after the church began. Uh, he said uh, that about Christians that their first lawgiver, their founder, he's talking about Jesus, persuaded them that they were all brothers of one another. And he says that they therefore despise all things indiscriminately and consider them a common property. Now, he levels that at the early church as a criticism of them. He's like, they could get taken advantage of by anyone who wanted to come in. He says they're clearly stupid because they're so generous. But that's what to be devoted to one another really means, that we open ourselves up to the possibility uh, that somebody could take advantage of us because we are so radically caring and generous. So to apply it, look in. Or more, more accurately, look around. Essentially, look after one another. Let's be devoted to one another. Stand out in this world of loneliness and struggle for community by looking around. Who here is missing this morning that you could send a WhatsApp message to after church? Just say, hey, checking in. Are we signed up for growth group this year, getting into smaller groups regularly to form slightly deeper communities within our church community, being committed to one another, remembering one another in prayer. Are we also thinking about how we can be helping one another? What can we give and not just get? In a, it's the, the looking in or the looking around that will make us stand out. According to one charity, Londoners are more likely than any others in the UK to be affected from severe forms of loneliness. 700,000 apparently Londoners feel lonely most or all of the time. So the being devoted to one another should mean a place where we can't be lonely. And being devoted to one another with our money and possessions, you'll notice at the barge, we don't pass a collection plate around. I don't know if you've heard the story of the, uh, the guy who walked into church and uh, he wasn't sure about it. He prayed that uh, God would help him out with a financial situation and then they passed him a plate of money in the last song. Um, uh, obviously, it's, it's a misunderstanding what giving to church is like. And uh, we don't pass a, a collection plate around because realistically, the, the cash that we carry in our pockets isn't actually reflective of what uh, many folk in the church are earning. So they need to actually be setting up a, a direct debit to be able to give radically and generously. So at the back table, we've got a, a, a leaflet that has giving information on it. We want you to be able to give radically and generously and be committed to one another in giving. So why not take that away, have a pray about what you could be giving uh, in your devotion to one another. As the church stands out, totally devoted to God, and as it stands out because of its devotion to one another, something interesting happens 
within this church. The Lord grows the numbers. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see how this church it was clearly not completely internally focused. They were devoted to God. They were devoted to one another. But they weren't so occupied with their learning, their worshipping, their loving common life together that they forgot to be a witness. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit who builds his missionary church. And this first church in Jerusalem at the beginning of Acts is entirely consistent with the whole book of Acts. The faith expanding through the witness of the Spirit, through the work of his people. The word goes out to all peoples, and the Lord adds to the number. The church is to be a witnessing church. A couple of things to bear in mind, though. First, who's the one doing this? It's the Lord, isn't it? He is the one who added to their church number. He did it through the preaching of the apostles, through the witness of church members, the love that they were sharing with one another and standing out because of it. But it is God who is doing it. He is the head of the church. He's the one who saves his people. He's the one who welcomes them in. It's easy when reading a book like Acts to sort of take on such an urgency and witness and evangelism and in sharing the good news that we can think that all the responsibility is ending on us. But that's not the case. It is God himself who is the best evangelist. We have to depend on him as we work for the gospel. And next, let's remember that he added to their number those who were being saved. It means that being part of church and being saved is to go hand in hand. He didn't add those to his church who were not saved, and he did not save without adding them to the church. Essentially, salvation and being part of community is to go together. So if we call ourselves Christians, but we don't view part uh, being a part of church as essential, then we're missing out on a sort of natural first step on faith. And then notice that this is daily. It's every day the Lord is adding to the number. So the early church's evangelism, it wasn't necessarily uh, sporadic or random. It was just daily and saturated into who they were. Sort of a, a steady uninterrupted stream of people coming into the church and being saved. So we might want to think, when was the last time I told somebody about the hope that I have? When was the last time I shared the gospel with somebody, this good news? When was the last time I, I told my story of my radically transformed life meeting Jesus? Now, we may be tempted to think, well, the early church, they had it so easy. Because look at verse 43. Or came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Like, of course the church was growing and the Lord was adding to the number. There were miracles going on. The apostles, the, the mega preachers, were the ones doing the work. Some would say then that the answer today needs that means that we need to be doing lots and lots of miracles today. Uh, that the only way we'll be effective in our evangelism is if it's accompanied with signs and with wonders. But I think to claim that, as some, some churches do, is to slightly ignore just the significance and therefore the uniqueness of what is happening. Peter 
has just preached, after the Holy Spirit had just filled the apostles. The fact that this new moment, this new age, as we saw last week, had begun, was accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles. It was to highlight just how significant this is. The age of the Spirit had come. And it only really makes sense that this unique marker of a new age confirms the apostles' unique ministry. So later in the New Testament, when the apostles are instructing the sort of next generation of church leaders, or indeed just giving instruction to churches, they aren't saying, make sure you do enough signs and wonders alongside your preaching so that everyone knows uh, that what we've got to say is true, and then the Lord will add to the numbers. No. Look at 1 Peter 2.12, for example. His instruction is, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Or 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. There was a uniqueness to these signs and wonders that was going on with the apostles. For us today, we're to give a reason for the hope that we have. And that rests solely on the Lord who who grows the church. And so, let's look outwards. We've had look up, look in, now let's look out. Are we an outward-looking church? Could we be more so? Who are we sharing the gospel with? Who are we witnessing to? Do we know anyone who actually wouldn't call themselves a Christian? And have we talked about our faith with them? Do we actually have a friendship with any people who wouldn't call themselves Christians? Would we be able to share our testimony of how Jesus has changed our life if somebody was to ask us why we go to church? And would we say that we provide a, a warm welcome to those uh, who come to church for the very first time? I'd hope that we would be able to say that, but let's ask ourselves that question again and again and again. Uh, those who are visiting church, unsure if it's for them, exploring if Jesus really has anything to offer, would we be confident in being able to welcome them in? I would hope so. And let's work on that together. There is a great need in our world for the people of God to be outward-looking, ready at all times to share the hope that we have. Because our world comes up with all sorts of questions, doesn't it? And lots of half-answers about who we really are and uh, what we're really doing here. Now, I haven't seen the Barbie movie, so this is a slightly... uh, uh, I hope this illustration works out. But Billie Eilish's song in the Barbie movie, What Was I Made For?, It's probably a great example of a popular level cultural question being asked that is a a deeper question of far more significance, a fundamental one about our world. What was I made for? Because obviously in a film about toys, what was I made for is answered initially by the being bought, sold, played with, and cast aside. Now, our world's answer to what was I made for, many of them, aren't much better than that. Accumulate things. Get memories. 
have fun, make a difference, start a family, whatever the answer it is, it often leaves people at some point in life wondering, was this what I was made for? Maybe you're here today asking that very same question. The answer the church has is that we were made for infinitely more than what this world has to offer. Created by a loving God for a relationship with himself. And if we have faith in Jesus, all sin and wrongdoing that separates us from that relationship with God is removed and forgiven. And in fact, one day, Jesus will come again. And for all eternity, we'll be in that loving relationship with God that we were made for. So today, we may feel uh, like we've come to church as a screw-up. Or maybe we're simply asking, what is the point of church? What does it have to offer me? What am I doing here on a Sunday morning? The answer is that we're to be a church that is devoted to God, devoted to one another, expectant that the Lord will add to our number. And as we look up, look in, and look out, we know that we have a wonderful good news to share, that what we're made for is a relationship with a God that is unlike any other and of infinite and greater worth than anything this world has to offer. We're going to continue our service in prayer, and we'll sing, and we'll remember Christ's death together in the Lord's Supper. Let's take a moment and just uh, take a moment to reflect quietly on what we ourselves uh, have heard this morning.